0: Uh, through the book of Revelation, which we're in right now. So if, if you missed the first two beforehand, they're going to be online. Um, also, if for whatever reason, if, if you're here this morning or if, you're, if, if live is working, if live ever doesn't work for whatever reason, all the sermons are also uh, video recorded. And so I'm, I will try to get those uploaded either Sunday evening or, or whatever or Monday or, or Tuesday. So or early early of the week, so Monday, uh, Tuesday through Sunday, that will be uh, uploaded on there so you can you can find that if for whatever reason the live stream fails, okay? So don't, don't be afraid, you won't miss anything, you can always go back and, and hear those things. Um, so as we are in the book of Revelation, today the text is gonna be read by Mr. Steve Wilson. Um, it's gonna be in Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven. So if you have a copy of God's word and you wanna open there, you can follow along there. Uh, we also have it on the screen. And so as Steve reads from where he's at, If Nick can click in the back and uh, work us through there, but go ahead whenever you're ready, Steve.
1: To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who called themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God.
0: Amen. Thank you, Steve. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this word. Uh, We ask, as our great God in heaven, uh, that you would be with us today. We confess that our love for one another is often lacking to the degree that it should be, Uh, We go through the motions of church life, but without the heart of Christ driving us. We thank you, Father, for loving us, that you have showed us what true love is by your son, Jesus. And therefore, we ask, as we pray, that you would cause our love to flow, that you would cause your love, rather, to flow by the power of your Holy Spirit, we do pray. Amen. So as we are uh, going through Revelation, there's like there's kind of different markers as you go through Revelation. This is the beginning of one of them. Perhaps you know about it. It's the seven churches, okay? And so these seven churches, there's basically three ways that we can uh, view these letters as we go through them. Uh, there is a, uh, the first way is, in no particular order, I guess, but the first way is this is a particular letter to a particular church in a particular area in a particular time, right? So it's it's very much, to that church, and then that's what that's for. Does that make sense? Another way is to look at these letters as historical representations of church ages and of developments, okay? And so it's written, yes, particular time, particular church, particular uh, time period or, or place, but also then historically representative. And then a the third way as these churches are typological, meaning that, These are the kinds of churches that can be found anywhere or everywhere. So those are the three main views that people hold as they're walking through these seven letters. Uh, Each of the seven letters uh, into which the details of the church's situation are uh, kind of listed in seven ways. Uh, So what I mean by that is there's kind of seven steps to each letter. The first step would be the address, to whom it's from, right? The second is the message formula, uh, the words to him who, and then whoever they're writing to. And then if it's applicable, and not all of these are, and you'll see just in a minute on this, he uh, then records the strengths of that church and or the weaknesses of that church. And then he provides a solution. So this is number five, if you're keeping track. So the address, the message formula, the strengths, the weaknesses, the solution to that. And then sixth, a call to listen. And then seventh, a challenge to overcome. So if you're thinking back to what Steve just read, maybe you can even think of that in the text right there, or if you have a copy of God's Word open, you can even if you want to. By the way, I don't know if you know that this is allowed, but it is. You can write in your Bible. That's fine. And so you can take a pen, or you can take a pencil, or you can take a highlighter, or you can take a crayon, or you can take a colored pencil, whatever it is you want, and you can write in the margin, all these kind of different things to help you as you go through these these letters. So when we focus on this section, so this is from a commentator. When we focus on this section, we find That three churches both have strengths and weaknesses, two have only strengths with no weaknesses, and two have only weaknesses with no strengths. And the way that we see that written out is what you see before you. Now, this is called a chiastic structure. A chiastic structure is just a fancy 50-cent theological education word for it's a pyramid on its side or a triangle pointed, you know, whatever. I couldn't even tell you if it's a right triangle or not, so whatever, right? But it's a triangle, a pyramid, put it on its side, and you can see I have them color-coded there for you. So you've got uh, bracketed all the way to Thyatira is the center one. And by the way, Thyatira is the longest of these letters, which is the other part that you can see there. Does this kind of make sense, how that is? Now, let's talk about the this first city. Okay, So this is the city of Ephesus that he's writing to here. Ephesus, uh, now you may have remembered this from when we went over the book of Ephesians, but maybe not, that's okay. Uh, Ephesus is the fourth largest Roman city in that time, in that part of the world, okay? Uh, they had three major trade routes that would go through Ephesus. It had one of the seven wonders of the world at that time, which, by the way, was a temple to a false god, Artemis. They had three temples to emperors themselves, to the Roman emperors, one of which was uh, Domitian, the current emperor of what we believe was, was uh is the current emperor while John was on Patmos and who sent him to Patmos, we, we believe. okay, And then there is a significant Jewish population that, of course, is opposed to Christianity in the same area. This church may have been established by Priscilla and Aquila and possibly Apollos also. We see evidence for that in Acts 18-25. 18, 18 through 25. And we know for sure that Timothy was at one point a, one of the leaders of this church for sure, and so there's very much some historical meaning behind this church in particular, and there's the book of the Ephesians, right? So there's there's lots of biblical ties that we have to this church. And so you might be asking, there's a kind of a world map of it. I don't know if it's big enough for you who are here, but I've got this cool laser pointer. So if you see on the screen, you've got Rome over here, right? Uh, you've got Ephesus that's way over here, and then you've got the island of Patmos is somewhere in this area, but it's so small it doesn't show up on this map. And then, of course, over here, you know, you've got um, Jerusalem, Mount Hermon, all those kind of things like this. And so, Antioch, and so Paul on his journey, he would come up and he went over more along the coast because there's, you, you know, because of technology, you 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 build where you can get access to things. And so, and then there's this whole swath of churches and those kind of things. So, does that give you kind of a, a lay of the land? <laughs> Pun intended. So here's my stance though, uh, uh, historically about this, right? It is inarguable that this letter is written to a particular church, absolutely. But I also think that what we see here is a universal church message. And what I mean by that is, I think that there are lots of churches, maybe ours, that we can see in the letter to Ephesus and or the other letters to the other churches. And if not only churches as a whole, than us as Christians. Because I believe what the Bible says is that all scripture is breathed out by God and all of it is profitable. And so therefore this cannot be just a letter to the Ephesians, the Ephesus church right then and then has nothing to do with me. That goes against what God's word says. So that's where I stand on all that. Does that make sense? So now then let's look at the actual text and let's seek to, I will do my best to try to help us apply it to our lives. Today, because that's what I just talked about. So it's to the church in Ephesus, but it's also to us. So how does that apply? Well, I'm glad you asked. So if you have a copy of God's Word, that is good because there's not going to be any scripture on the screen anymore. Uh, so this is to help train you and to teach you. I like to do this to you every once in a while. So if you have a copy of God's Word, open that up to Revelations. If you don't, hopefully there's a pew Bible, or hopefully you have one on your phone and you can have access to that and you can follow along in either of those ways. But in Revelation chapter two, verse one, this angel of the church of Ephesus he says. Uh, right, uh, the, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And if you remember, this is uh, the, the description of Jesus we just had recently of who he is. Okay, so we're understanding again, the revelation of Jesus. This is the revelation of Jesus to his churches. He's telling them, and if you remember how I applied this, I think last week, if not, you can, you can listen to that if, if you'd like to, but I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of it right now. This is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hands. He is the possessor of this church, of all the power, of all the authority, and he is the one who is among the seven golden lampstands. And that is important because of what he is about to say. So we need to understand, the illustration here is, is that Jesus is in control, he's in power, and he's also in the midst of them. So not only does he have their back, so to speak, he knows exactly what is happening in their midst. He's very aware of everything that is going on, okay? So he's going to tell them three things they've been doing really well and one thing they need to work on. You probably already know what they are because you just heard Steve read them or you have a copy of God's Word, so I'm not going to be giving you anything you don't already see, but let's apply that, shall we? So the first thing he says is, your work is wonderful. Now, he doesn't say that exactly, but, you know, I've got to make all these things rhyme or stick in your brain somehow. So your works are wonderful is what he says in Revelation 2, 2, A, so that would be the first half of 2.2. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. This is a good thing. James 2.22 says, you see the faith, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. So we see from James, we see in other places of scripture that when our works are evident, that is evidence of faith. Jesus is telling them, I have seen your works. Your works are good. Your works are wonderful. Good job, Ephesians, at your works. In fact, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And so, isn't it cool that the book of Ephesians that Paul is writing, they're not just hearing this, they're living out what Paul is telling them. This is a good church, right? They are practicing what they're preaching. This is great. And so some of the things, two ways that this shows, in my opinion, from what Jesus says here, is there's two ways that this shows. This shows in their works as either being separate from the world and connected to the body. Does that make sense? Uh, He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil. So that's the separate from the world. He knows that they're together because they're a church. They're writing to the church, so they're connected to the body. You see where I get those things, right? Special insight into expository preaching here. You just read the text, and you read the text, and you read the text, and you read the text, and then eventually you get something out of it because God is good. Isn't that cool? You can do that at home, and you should. But you should also come here too, I think, because we need that, because we need to be separate from the world and, what I say? Connected to the body. We need that as part of our church fellowship. And so they are not engaging in sexual immorality around the town there. They have these uh, uh, um, places of worship to false gods like Artemis or Zeus or Diomitian and the other emperors. What do you think went on for those kind of things? There was a lot of uh, promiscuity and things that would happen. There was temple prostitutes and there was all kinds of things that would happen out there. So being separate from the world, not engaging in sexual immorality, they're not worshiping idols. That's another very flagrant one that people would do there. And then think about pagans around the world today. Everybody believes in something, right? And it's either the true God of the Bible or it's a false God and some kind of other idol. And you might say, well, whoa, wait a minute, uh, Pastor. I have a scientific friend who just believes in in evolution of the Big Bang Theory. Well, that's fine. That's their idol. Their idol is science and man that we're so smart that we figured it out. It's it's there, There's nothing new there. It's just a different application of this. So they're not worshiping orios. They're avoiding worldly pursuits, it talks about there. You can't bear with those who are evil. I know your toil and your patient endurance. And secondly, they're connected to the body. What this might look like, and what this probably looks like, is a regular attending of meetings. We see that in Acts, right? So they were... They were going from the synagogue with one another and then breaking in bread with, with one another. And, and so then they're, they're meeting on Sundays. Traditionally, that's uh, how it happened in the early church too. They met on Sundays because that was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so it became a tradition. And they started meeting on that and all those kind of things. So they're regularly meeting together. They're probably going to one another's homes. They're probably having fellowship meals together. All those things that we hear about in the New Testament. They're engaged in service projects together probably. You have to understand some of this is me just thinking through first century church and some of this is straight Bible. I hope that you can understand the difference because I want for you to I want for you to be able to parse that out. We know it's fulfilling their religious obligations together. For instance, like engaging in the Lord's Supper, probably baptizing these new believers that are coming into the church and accepting Jesus. And so I want to ask you, he says to them, Your work is wonderful. I want to ask you, how are you doing at that? If Jesus came today and he saw your life, would he say, hey, insert your name here, your works are wonderful. Would he say that you are doing an excellent job at not bearing with those who are evil and and being connected with the body? Are we in the world but not of it? Are we a light in the darkness? Is it fair to say that he would come to me, that he would come to you, that he would come to us, and he would say i see your toil i mean if i'm if i'm transparently honest with you today would i use the word toil i don't know if i would patient enduring would i claim that for myself i mean honestly that i've been patiently enduring how much do i actually bear with those who are evil Well, pastor, now wait a minute there. That's not very nice to say that there are evil people. Well, I didn't say it. This is a sobering question. Would Jesus say this to me? Would he say it to you? Second thing he talks about there, he says, not only is your work wonderful, and that's good, and we should try to do that, okay? So let's let's keep that in mind. I didn't mean to beat you up too bad. I know we all just feel like, well, geez, Pastor, I guess my work's not that wonderful. Okay, fine, we can improve on that. That's what we're here for, to hold one another accountable, to spur one another on. There's all kinds of ways you can get involved with Allegan Bible Church and do some wonderful works. We're going to do that together. Let's not get too upset because we're really going to get beat up in a minute here, okay? So let's save that. Save your sorrow for just a minute. Your works are wonderful. I'm here to tell you, could you do more? Sure, so could I, right? But let's move on. He says your work is wonderful, and he says your doctrine is divine. How nice is that? That is great. Revelation 2.2, second half then of two 2-2, so two b but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. This is good. This is good. First Timothy, right? The guy who was part of Ephesus, right? I just said that. So 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So Timothy, being told this by Paul, when he was leading the church at Ephesus, he said, Hey, y'all we got to pay attention to what the Bible says and measure everybody else's teachings who comes in here by the Bible. And if it doesn't match up with the Bible, then we've got to throw them out. That's my paraphrase of what Timmy would, would say. I call him Timmy. We're cool like that. 1 Timothy 6, 3-4 says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of the, the, our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accounts with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Now listen, pay attention, right? I know it's not up on the screen. Which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. Now, keep that in your pocket. He also says in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. 1 John The guy who wrote this, right, John from Patmos, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus is coming to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying, good job. And I hope that's what Jesus would say here. I hope that what Jesus would say about you, about me, about us as, as a church body, that we know what we believe and why we believe it. That we would be able to parse Scripture. That if somebody came and said, hey, um, you know, whatever this concern is that I have, what does the Bible say about that? That we would be able to read through the Bible and have an answer for that. That we would be led by, in essence, and, and, if, and if we're unable to do that, that we're growing in that and that we all would have the desire to have divine doctrine, to be led by Scripture and allow Scripture to speak and not just whoever. I also pray that God would say this about us, that we would know the difference between heresy and interpretation styles. Because it's okay for us to disagree with one another about certain things and just be okay with that. And then there's other things that if you teach that, then that's actually heretical. And do we know the difference? Or do we think everybody who has a different opinion than us is just heretical? Are we students of the book? Are we Bereans? Do you, I hope, listen, uh, so I I checked with the small group leaders before this message because I wanted to talk about this at this point in the message. It is good to be a Berean. It's good to discuss from time to time what you hear from this pulpit with other Christians in line with Scripture. So if you are not involved in a small group, I would encourage you, that's what they're for. They're for going deeper about what we've heard on Sunday and, by the way, examining what you've heard on Sunday to make sure it accords with sound doctrine. And also, I would tell you, and I've told you this before and I'll tell you again, as we elect and as we call and as God brings to bear men who are in positions of the deacons and the elders, Make sure that you as a congregation member or they as leaders are holding me accountable in my preaching. So how do we determine if someone is a good teacher of Scripture or not? You know, it's a lot simpler than we might think. We, we all have preference styles, right? Like, well, I think so-and-so is a, a good preacher because he always puts things in three points that all rhyme, and so then that's great, and, you know, that's great. Um, one of my favorites, who does—I'm not talking about me. I'm—I'm I'm using things that are just whatever. So, uh, what's his name? Man, I listen to him all the time, and I can't think of his name. I've mentioned him from the pulpit before. He's one. He's good. He's good. John MacArthur, John Piper, Alistair Begg. There's another guy. He's Paul Washer's probably good. I don't know as much. But um, there, stop giving me names. <laughs> I can't think of his name. I'll think of it later, and I'll tell you how do you know if somebody's a good preacher or teacher of scripture or not? It's not just because of their style. It's are they preaching the Bible and are they letting the Bible speak? It's real simple, okay? It's real simple. Are you studying the Bible yourself? Because I don't know about you, I want Jesus to say of me and so therefore I want him to say of you, your works are wonderful and your doctrine is divine. That's what I want, divine doctrine. That's what we should all want. And the le- the third thing he says is your fo- your fortitude is fantastic. Revelation two three. He goes on. He says, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. So in this letter, two different times he uses this phrase, kind of a little different each time, but it's the same phrase. He says patient endurance and enduring. Patiently. Do you think those phrases mean the same thing? Because I do. And so maybe we ought to think about that. First Timothy, again, the guy who was a big part of the church of Ephesus, he said, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life for which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And Jesus is coming and saying, good job, Ephesus. Timothy's preaching that and you are doing that. And right now, where they're at and the time period that they're in, they are receiving persecution. The Jews are opposed to Christianity as a whole and they have a huge presence in the city. The Gentiles who are there are like, why do you mean you're not coming to the temple of Artemis anymore? What do you mean you're not coming to the emperor temple worship anymore? What do you mean you're not participating in these things anymore? Is it something I said? You just don't like me or maybe I should kick you out or maybe you don't have a job here anymore because you're a weirdo Christian. You know, like persecution is happening there. First Peter 1 Peter 1:13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not just talking about the book of Revelation, but the actual the actual revealing of Jesus when he comes again in the second time. Jesus is telling them in in, in Ephesus, your fortitude is fantastic. You're suffering well. You're persevering well. You're holding up, you're holding true, you're not giving in, you're not backing down, you're doing what you need to do, when you need to do it, your works are wonderful, your doctrine is divine, you believe the right thing, not only that, but then also, when called to the mat, you stand. I want to have fantastic fortitude too. To do that, we must recognize the enemy. We need to understand who the enemy is, truly, okay? And the war that we're in, we need to consider the reward. All this, all this, by the way, is the same kind of thing that I talked about just last week. So if you, if you weren't here, which most of you weren't, you can find that online. And maybe you watched it already, and that's great. Last week, I talked about Christ's plan involves tribulation. That was one of my points. But Romans 5, 3-4 says, Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. There it is. And that endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hebrews 10, 36 says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You know, there's an old phrase that I don't like. It goes like this. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that phrase, I think is, I don't like it because we only use it one way, but I think it's, it, I I want to rewrite it. It won't catch on. But I'll, but there's a second way of looking at that same phrase. When, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. When things get hard, those with hard hearts leave. And so just as a matter of, probing your conscience this morning, how often do you grumble and complain against God? How often do you question his judgment, his plan, his sovereign authority? Would Jesus tell you your fortitude is fantastic? You see, the church at Ephesus is a model church in every single way but one. Every way, which which then tells me and I hope tells you that this is what we should be shooting for too, right? What we should be shooting for, all these things, wonderful works, divine doctrine, fantastic fortitude, but but they fail in one area. You know what that is? It's a biggie. He says their love is lacking. That is huge. That's huge. Revelation two, four. So if you have a copy, that's where we're going next. He says I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Every virtue carries within itself the seeds of its own destruction. It seems probable that the desire for sound teaching and the resulting forthright action taken to exclude all impostors has created a climate of suspicion in which love within the believing community could no longer exist. So you may have already forgotten, but I remember I read something from Timmy, Tim, from Timmy, Timothy, and I told you to keep that in your back pocket for a minute. I'm going to read it again. First Timothy 6, 3 through 4. If anyone teaches different doctrine that doesn't agree, at the end of verse 4 he says, he has unhealthy craving, controversy, and quarrels, which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, And I think that's exactly what happened here at Ephesus. I think that they were barraged with this. They did an excellent job. Jesus says they did an excellent job of dividing the word of truth, of determining who was preaching the gospel and who was preaching biblical doctrine and who wasn't, and they kicked him out. But then what that did is because of that stuff that was going on, it made them so cynical that they lost their love. And this happened to Ephesus, even where Timothy was serving. And so you think that it can't happen here with just a regular guy like me and Drew leading it? Then you're crazy. They had wonderful religious works. They divided and defined doctrine. They were preserving patiently through persecutions, and yet they missed the main thing, love. By the way, Paul warned against that too. He wrote this in 1 Corinthians. He said, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith and so remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I'll prove it to you if you don't believe it already. I mean, Scripture said it, so you ought to. But, But ladies, what means more to you? You ready? You don't have to answer because I know the answer. I I think. (laughs) What means more? Flowers on Valentine's Day or flowers any other random day just because he can't stop thinking about you? I think I know the answer. Men, let me ask you a question. What means more to you? A nice word in a card on your birthday? Or. A word spoken in earnest eye to eye before you leave for work any other day about how she respects you as a man. I think I know the difference. You see, we as a church and as Christians, we can check all the right boxes, but we can lack the one thing that gives substance to our service, and that's love. And so that's the question for this morning is, is that us? Is that us as Allegan Bible Church? Is that me? Is that you as individual Christians? Are we able to say, hey, Jesus, look, my, my works are wonderful. My, my doctrine is divine. My fortitude is fantastic. And then would he come back and say, yeah, okay, but, you know, you don't love well. And so what's the remedy for that? Well, I'm glad you asked. He tells us that in verse 5. So if you want to turn there, we're going to parse that out for these four Uh, answers to that. So if you're a note taker, here's your blanks for you. The first answer he gives is for us to remember. He says in uh, verse five there, remember therefore from where you have fallen. You know what I think he means when he says remember? I think he means several things. First, I think he means remember who you are. I don't mean, I'm I'm John, I, I haven't forgot that. What I mean is, I'm a wretch apart from Christ. I deserve hell apart from Christ that there is nothing good in me no not one all go astray all follow after our own things that if 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 I was left to my own devices woe to me I think that's the first thing we should remember I think the next thing we ought to remember is who God is God is so holy so other than so big so majestic so awesome, so powerful, so loving, so gracious, so merciful, and yet so just, that he sent Jesus for us. And we need to remember who Jesus is and what he has done and the depth of his payment and what that payment covers and how far that payment goes. I mean, to remember how we should respond. So I think that's the first thing we need to remember, as he says, from where you have fallen. I think the other thing we need to remember is, do you remember? I, so I remember the way it felt when my bride came through those doors as my father-in-law was bringing her down to me. I will never forget that feeling. I I pray. Do you remember the feeling when you first fell in love with Jesus? Do you remember how you used to be on fire and tell your whole family about stuff, even though they would roll your eyes at the Thanksgiving table because you would just be telling them about these things? Do you remember how you used to give gospel tracts out to people and witness to the people who you worked with, or be fervent in prayer, or be just a... Hoover vacuum for all things scriptural, seeking to read and seeking to hear and seeking to do. Do you, do you remember that? And then the question I would have is if you don't remember that, beloved, then maybe that's the first place we start. But the next thing that he tells us is not only should we remember, but we should repent. It should bring us to action. John thirteen thirty four says, A new commandment I gave to you, given to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. First John 420. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so, remember what we are called to, remember the commands we've been given and then repent. We need to repent. I need to love more. That was a good place for an amen. I guess I'm the only one. Pray for me then. I guess I I'm glad that you all are doing so well at loving one another as Jesus loved you. That must be amazing, but I need help, and I need prayer, and I want to repent from that. I want to love more. 1 Corinthians tells us that love is patient and kind. It does not envy, it boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. How are we doing at loving that way? we need to remember and repent and then we need to rekindle that flame that's the difference between being uh be, between courting and married right i'm i'm ashamed to tell you that when i was courting my wife she got flowers and cards and chocolates often and now she does not not that I'm opposed to it. It's not in the budget. See, that's a guy who's been married a long time. I actually have that conversation with my wife too. And I say something and she's like, flowers die. Don't waste our money on that kind of thing. But, but sisters in Christ, it's way different when he's courting you, isn't it? You're like, I don't care if they die tomorrow. I'd like some flowers, <laughs> right? And that's Okay we need to rekindle that. He says, do the works you did at first in Revelation 2 verse 5. Do the witnessing. Do the memorization. Listen to sermons, not just by me. Do charity. Be charitable. Be in times of prayer. When's the last time you fasted? Enjoy fellowship with the body of believers. That's part of the reason why I want this directory so bad. I want for you all to pray for one another. I want for you to invest in one another. When's the last time after church you invited somebody out to dinner? I mean, we should be doing that regularly, not to just support our local community, but because we want to get to know one another. We want to love one another. Are we a lamp to the world because of our love Lastly, the reason we should do all these things is because there is a danger in not doing them. And so it is my job as a herald to say, hey, you, you know, hey, pay attention. Hey, let's look at this. Let's, let's look at our scriptures. Let's, let's allow the scriptures to look at us. Let's allow the spirit to to weigh and to move and to and to give us conviction. Hey, we have to do this. And the reason is, is because of what Jesus says, finally, he says, remember, repent, rekindle, or be removed. He tells the church at Ephesus, if not, if you don't do these things, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, I don't think what this means is that they're all going to lose their salvation. I don't think that's what this means. What I think what this means is to do just like Any other, not that Jesus is a businessman, but this is, I think this will resonate with us. If a business isn't profitable, it gets sold off, broken up, and it becomes solvent. Why? So they can use those resources in a new business or in a different business or a different part of the business that is profitable. It's what Jesus is saying here. You were built to be a light If you're not a light, what do you need the lampstand for, Ephesus? If you're not going to shine, there's no need for the lampstand. The church is going to be dissolved. You Christians can find another place to go and be part of a new body. Because by the way, the body that you're at is dead and is dying. Go to a body where you as an individual cell can get life and can be a functioning part of the body. That's what he says here, I think. But I want to end with good news too. So understand that he is told, hey, you've got all these good things going for you, but the main thing you've missed, and unless you do something about it, the lampstand's getting removed. Do you know what's excellent? Do you know what should be so glorious to you this morning by this text right now is this? Have you heard of the church of Ephesus? Do you know what that means? Their lampstand was there amen hallelujah praise the Lord and that can be true for us you know our obedience to the Lord our relationship with Jesus is only one footstep away in the reverse direction turn back to him and he is there He is the prodigal father when we are feeling when we are told by the Holy Spirit that that we have these things to work on and I don't know about you but I know I have things to work on from today's text from today's message, that we can in all glory, in all joy, know that when we repent, when we remember, repent and rekindle, we are no longer in danger of having anything removed because he is faithful to his word. And the Ephesians did that. And so they they went on. And Timothy served there. And there's scriptures written about them. And there's letters written to them because they weren't snuffed out, at least not at this time. And so he ends in Revelation 2, verse 7, and I'll end there too. He says, he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So I just want to encourage you. If there's any part of this message that's stuck in your heart today, I want to encourage you to remember, to repent, to rekindle, And then just praise the Lord because he is guaranteed that if you have ear to hear, that he's going to grant you to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as this is the revelation of you, of who you are and how you allow us to see you more fully and how you interact with us as your people and as your church. God, we would ask you to help us to apply this word to our lives. We would ask that you would rekindle the fire of zeal within each of us, within our hearts, within our midst, within our congregation. That we would have that zeal for you and for one another as your children to bring us back to the place that we were, that we would love you and love our neighbors as ourselves we ask that you would stoke your holy fire within us. You would remove not your lampstand from before us. And rather, you would strengthen it and encourage it and build it, and even more as we get closer and closer to the fulfillment of these days in this book. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.